All right, I'm going to pull us back. As you know, we've been walking through our series uh, in the book of Jeremiah, really focusing on some of the uh, big times in Jeremiah's life when God came and met him to either give him a message that he was to give to others or something that God needed to say to Jeremiah. As we've done that uh, throughout these last uh, number of weeks, uh, we saved the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah for the very last week. Uh, This morning, we're actually going to be in Jeremiah chapter 1 as we talk about the calling of Jeremiah. And the reason that we saved it to the last week is because we think that it has great application for us as a church and especially for each of you as individuals. What God does in Jeremiah's life has great parallels to what I believe God wants to do in your life and my life. And so we want to explore that as we come to the close of this series today. Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 to 10, and then we're going to drop down, read 17 to 19. You can go ahead and read along with me. It says, verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. The word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, came to him in the 13th year, that is to Jeremiah, in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. If you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, I showed you a timeline, okay? Basically, the timeline was just everything we just read. God comes to Jeremiah in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. Josiah is one of the uh, few good kings in uh, the southern portion of Israel that's called Judah. That's where Jerusalem's at. The temple is there. Josiah is a a great king. Uh, Jeremiah starts his ministry in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. Jeremiah actually then ministers as a prophet uh, through not just the end of Josiah's reign, but then four more kings after. Only two are mentioned because the other two that aren't mentioned were only in power for a few months. And then Jeremiah's kind of time, his ministry finishes uh, when Zedekiah is uh, taken as a captive to Babylon. Babylon uh, has come in and conquered the southern kingdom of of Judah, uh, destroyed the main city, that is Jerusalem, knocked down the walls, even destroyed the temple there in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, destroyed, dropped down. And uh, at that point, Uh, Many of the Jews that are living there in Judah are taken, exiled to Babylon. And Jeremiah himself winds up getting exiled, not to Babylon, but actually to Egypt, which is already uh, a land that Babylon has conquered and is ruling over. So this kind of tells us what's happening. And then we get the interaction that God has with Jeremiah when he first calls him into ministry. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But Yahweh said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. 
Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And then he gives him two visions, God does, to Jeremiah, that really kind of shape the contours of his ministry from then on. Uh, the first vision is uh, of an almond branch, and the word almond in Hebrew is uh, almost identical sounding to the word watch in Hebrew. And it was basically God's way of saying, hey, I'm watching you. Uh, I have something that's coming, and I'm paying attention to all of this. And then the next one was uh, a pot of boiling water that gets poured out uh, on, from the north and runs down over the nation, which is uh, to signify that Babylon is coming in. In other words, hey, something bad's coming, but there is still going to be an almond branch. Almonds were the first branches to flower. It was kind of the start of spring when new life begins. And God says, hey, something bad's going to happen, but uh, I, I still see you. There's still a spring to come. Okay, that, that kind of sets up uh, the rest of the book of Jeremiah. And then in verse 17, God says to Jeremiah, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. In other words, don't pull your punches or I'll take you out of the ring. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What I'd like to do this morning is actually pull back and focus on verses 4 through 8. I think there's a beautiful, powerful illustration that God intends for all of us to catch as we go back and pay attention to the calling of Jeremiah, some of the things that are actually happening. So let's go back and read verses 4 and 5 to start. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I want to focus on three words there, okay? The first is in verse 5, before I formed you. This word formed is the Hebrew word yatsar. It means to be designed, created, built, or constructed. Okay? It has the idea of a potter who actually creates a, a vase, a jar, or a sweet mug like this Bob Ross mug, right? How awesome is this? A little weird to think about drinking out of his brain. But uh, this, this piece of pottery was designed with intention, okay? It was created, built, it was formed. And what God is saying in this moment is, Jeremiah, I'm the one who formed you. I designed you, built you, created you on purpose, all right? Bob Ross might have made happy little accidents. God does not. God forms us before we were even born with intention. That's really what the word kind of means, this concept of uh, intentionality, okay? Designed for a purpose. Jeremiah's life has meaning. Now, the second word uh, we see just a few words later, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The word knew is, uh, knew you is this word yada shows a level of intimacy, care, and concern. Uh, it's actually the same Hebrew word that's uh, used when a, uh, a man and a woman are married and become husband and wife. 
and uh, they know each other. Or as the King James says, have relations. It's a word that shows a depth of intimacy. Now, when God is using it here, he's, of course, not talking about anything sexual. He's talking about something that really helps us to understand the fullness of God's knowing, his, the intimacy with which he knows us, right? He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the actions, the strengths, our weaknesses, our abilities. He knows our capabilities, our past, and our future. Nothing's hidden from God. He knows what we're capable of. He, he tells Jeremiah that before he was even born, he knew what Jeremiah's future was going to look like. There's nothing hidden from God when it came to Jeremiah, and there's nothing hidden from God when it came to you. Even before you left the womb, God knew you intimately. He, he sees you. He knew your strengths and your weaknesses. He knew what you were going to do, how you were going to act, how you'd respond, what was going to happen. And he knows what you're capable of even better than you know what you're capable of. The next word is uh, what we see right after that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That word is the word kadash. It actually means holy. It's usually how uh, the word, anytime you see the word holy in the Old Testament, uh, that's that Hebrew word kadash, okay? A lot of times when, at least in the tradition that I grew up in, because I grew up uh, going to church, and anytime I heard that word holy, I always thought like sinless, like meant that like he was perfect. The way that the Old Testament uh, and New Testament often use the word holy, it means to be set apart that there is a purpose, that you've kind of been designated for something. And that's what God says here to Jeremiah. He's like, before, uh, before you were born, I formed you. Before you were born, I, I knew you, even when you were in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I, I set you apart. I had something for you to do, okay? Means that he was holy and dedicated, special purpose and plan that God had for him before he was even born. Now, 3,500 years ago, when God is speaking these words to Jeremiah and Baruch, okay, is writing them down, all the things that Jeremiah asks him to write down, I don't think any of them thought, hey, this is going to be a, a great argument for why Americans in 2023 ought to be pro-life. All right? I don't think that was on their mind at all. But there is no way for us to engage with this scripture and not recognize some of the implications that God is saying about the value of human life. And even when it begins, when God says, Jeremiah, I, I formed you, it was me. I'm the one who did it. I had intentionality, design, before you were even born. I knew you before you were even born. When you were still in your mother's womb, I knew you intimately. I knew I knew what was coming, what your future was like. I knew what your limitations were. I knew what you were capable of even better than you do. And not only that, Jeremiah, but before you were ever born, I set you apart. I designated purpose for you. I had plans that I had created for you. Uh, we were praying uh, this morning with uh, a bunch of our volunteers. For you, actually. 
One of the things that uh, one of the volunteers prayed about, just, she, she just mentioned like, um, God, something to the effect of like, let us see your word, not something that's political. And I get, second that I mentioned something about pro-life, there are some that are like, oh man, political, why are they getting into politics? Look, I'll tell you right now, I don't give a flying flip about politics. Just don't. Not trying to be political at all. I'm not saying politics don't matter. I'm just saying I don't care about them. What I care about is doing my absolute best to understand what God's word says and apply it appropriately and correctly to my life so that I can live out the things that God, I believe, wants me and us to live out. You want to know why Christians are pro-life? It's because we think that there is intentionality that God builds, designs into us from the very beginning. He talks about it here. Now, uh, I won't talk about being pro-life as simply being like, oh, Christians should be anti-abortion. I think that that is a good thing to be against. But I care way more about caring for life before it's born, from conception all the way to resurrection. Uh, I'll be pro-life, but pro-life is not just what happens in the womb. Pro-life is after the child is born and caring for the mother. And even caring for mothers that maybe felt like they had no choice and have had an abortion and are sitting in here today. No, you are loved, you are cared for, and this is a safe place for you to be. We are going to continue to talk about why we're pro-life, but we're not just going to talk about the unborn. We care about the unborn, but we're going to care also about the refugee that's at the border and the refugee that's here in our town. We're going to care about how we walk alongside those that are coming along, uh, having difficult times. We're going to care about uh, uh, um, foster care and adoption. Like all that stuff's got to matter to us. So I'm not afraid to talk about the things that the Bible talks about, but I also want to make sure that we always keep it in context, that we are about all of scripture, the whole of it. And so while I don't think that this is actually the main point of the text we're looking at today, there's no way for us to engage with this text and not talk about this issue. And so I did. And now we're going to move along to what I actually think is the main point of the scripture today. Let's keep looking. Verse six, God has just come to Jeremiah Okay, and he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And why did he do that? Because he was planning to appoint him as a prophet to the nations. Now look what Jeremiah says. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. You know what Jeremiah is saying? He's like, God's first talking to him. He's like, yo, man, before... You were even born, I, I formed you, I knew you. And Jim was like, oh, for real, that's cool. That's pretty, he's like, yeah, yeah, and before you were even born, I set you apart. I got plans for you, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's like, oh, come on, Lord, this feels so good. Like, I'm feeling so, like, built up. He's like, yeah, plans, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And, and Jeremiah's like, hold up, what? Time out. Like, I'm cool with everything else, but like, that's not what I want for my life. You see what he says? No, 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 no. I can't speak, which is funny because he says it. I can't speak. I can't speak and I'm too young, which is his way of saying, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know how to do this. And I, quite honestly, I'm afraid to do this. You ever been there? 
I don't, I, I don't know how to do this. And I'm afraid to do this. Uh, that's how my mom felt. Uh, the first time that my little uh, foster sister came to live with us. Her name was Kiera. Uh, Kiera uh, was born to a, a really young mom, and uh, she had some uh, difficulties with what was going on in, in her throat. In fact, uh, her airway was pretty much completely closed off, and so she was given, uh, she had a, a, a tracheotomy, which meant that there was a, a trach that was placed, a, a little tube was placed, that, that's her, that's me with the bad mustache. Right below me is, uh, is my little foster sister, Kiera. Uh, all right, stop showing that picture, please. Uh, go, all right, so uh, that's Kiera. Uh, you'll see uh, her tracheotomy is right below her chin, okay? And uh, her mom was unable to, to care for her the way that she needed to be cared for. And so she, uh, she wound up being um, brought into the foster care system, was living at a hospital because pretty medically fragile, um, it didn't happen often, but it did happen with some regularity that uh, either through a cough or her grabbing at it or something, uh, she would pull the, the trach out. And she had uh, nothing between the trach and her mouth. There was no airway. So if the trach came out, she couldn't breathe. So you're talking seconds, all right, uh, before something very serious uh, would happen, even death, potentially. Uh, now, uh, if you... Uh, if you remember, um, I've talked about this before, uh, my only biological brother was born with pretty uh, severe developmental disabilities. And that actually is what led my mom and dad to start considering the idea of fostering kids with special needs. But they assumed that that would probably uh, mean kids that had developmental disabilities, not necessarily uh, medical disabilities. And my mom was not a nurse. She did not have any scientific, nursing, medical, anything type of training. And so when they called my folks about taking Kiera, uh, my mom felt absolutely 1,000% overwhelmed. How do I take someone else's child into my house knowing that this medical condition exists that is potentially dangerous and scary, and I don't really know what I'm doing? So she got training on how to, you got to change trachs out with regularity, how to tie them appropriately on the neck so they stay in tight enough that they can handle if you cough. But you also get trained on what to do when it pops out because they do from time to time and you have to act quickly. My mom said when Kiera first came home, she was terrified. She said every night when I went to bed, before I could fall asleep, I had to cycle through how to do CPR on Kiera in my head in case the alarm went off because the trach had come out and I had seconds to wake up and act. She said every time that I went to bed, I had to mentally go through what I would do, how I would respond before I could even begin to fall asleep. She's like, I was terrified, but she said, but I knew God had asked us to step into this space. She said, I didn't feel capable. I didn't feel like I had all the knowledge and know-how. I just knew God was asking us to do it, to love this little girl. Kiera got in touch with my mom uh, a couple years ago. 
She was eventually reunited with her mom after they had surrounded her with some good uh, help and, and some other family members. Um, she went on to graduate high school and get a degree from college and is now uh, was in PA or PT school um, when she called my mom. You never know what God may call you into, what he may ask of you. And I promise you, uh, when that time comes, you will feel like, I don't know how to do it. And quite honestly, I'm afraid to do it. That's a pretty good indicator that God is calling you into that space. And I love what God says to him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not say you are too young. What God wants him to know is he wants him, Jeremiah to know, and you to know, it was never about what you thought you could or couldn't do, what you felt equipped or ready to handle. Just do what I ask you to do. Now, that sounds nice, but you're like, yeah, but I'm still freaking out, and I'm not sure that I know how to. God doesn't just leave Jeremiah there. He goes on in verse 8 and says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am and with you. You're not going to do this alone. Uh, that was the promise that God had given to my mom. And I was trying to think, like, what's a modern day example of someone that had a, a similar calling to Jeremiah? And the more that I thought about it, the more I felt like the Spirit say, remind them of MLK. Uh, you want to talk about somebody who had a, a similar experience to Jeremiah, had a word of truth that his nation needed to hear? had a calling from God, but also was going to experience unbelievable pushback. Peers from his hometown hated him, wanted to see him dead. Jeremiah experienced the same thing. Plots to assassinate, Jeremiah experienced the same thing. MLK experienced derision, mockery. Jeremiah experienced the same thing. MLK had people that were even sympathetic to his cause that were frustrated with him because he would not give up the call for nonviolence within the struggle. But Dr. King shares this story. I want to read it to you. He said, during the bus protest in Montgomery, Alabama, okay, we, we, uh, we know it from, uh, why am I all of a sudden, downtown Ro uh, Rosa Parks, I'm not going to talk about Rosa Parks. I'm going to talk about somebody else, actually. During that time, okay, one of the most dedicated participants was an elderly woman that we affectionately called Mother Pollard. Although poverty-stricken and uneducated, she was amazingly intelligent and possessed a deep understanding of the meaning of the movement. Once she was asked after, after several weeks of walking whether she was tired, Mother Pollard said, My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. This was just one example of her ungrammatical profundity. One Monday evening, after having gone through a tension-packed week, which included being arrested and receiving numerous threatening calls, I went to the mass meeting at the church, depressed and fear-stricken. In my address, I tried to desperately give an overt impression of strength and courage, but deep down within the soil of my inner life was the nagging serpent of fear, which left me poisoned with the fangs of depression. MLK was an amazing orator. At the end of the meeting, Mother Pollard came to the front of the church and said, come here, son. 
Immediately, I walked over and gave her a big hug. Then she said, something is wrong with you. You didn't talk strong tonight. Seeking to keep my fears to myself, I retorted, oh no, Mother Pollard, nothing is wrong. I'm feeling fine as ever. Now you can't fool me, she said. I knows something is wrong. Is it that we ain't doing things to please you? Or is it that the white folks is bothering you? Before I could answer, she looked directly into my eyes and said, I done told you we is with you all the way. And then with a countenance beaming with quiet certainty, she concluded, but even if we ain't with you, God's gonna take care of you. Everything in me quivered with the pulsing tremor of raw energy when she uttered those consoling words. MLK goes on to say, since that dreary night in 1956, I have known very few quiet days. I have been tortured without and tormented within by the raging fires of tribulation. Day in and day out, I have been forced to stand up amid howling winds of pain and jostling storms of adversity. Times without number, I have learned that life has not only sunlit moments of joy, but also fogged packed moments of sorrow. But as the years have unfolded, the majestic words of Mother Pollard have come back again and again to give light and peace to the hinterlands of my troubled soul. God's gonna take care of you. This is the faith that can transform the whirlwind of despair into the soothing breeze of hope. There is an old familiar motto which says, fear knocked at the door, faith answered. No one was there. Mm. Dr. J.A. Deering says two things the prophet can count on. Number one, dependence on God for vindication rather than popularity amongst one's peers. And two, that future generations will look on them differently than their own. It was true for Jeremiah and it's true for MLK. If you are going to follow the calling and mission that God's placed on your life, there is a good chance you will experience pushback from someone somewhere. Everybody in this room was formed by God, was known by God, was set apart for a purpose by God before you were ever born. No matter where you've been, no matter the mistakes you've made in your past, you have not ruined God's plan and purpose for your life. It's still sitting there waiting to be discovered and stepped into, I promise you that. Now, if that's the case though, we gotta figure out what that mission is, what that calling is, what that purpose is. And so I'd like to give you three thoughts, okay? Three thoughts. Number one, when it comes to your mission, if you can do it on your own, it's probably not a mission from God. Number two, if it doesn't scare you a little and excite you a little, it's probably not a calling from God. And number three, if there's no opposition from the world around you, it probably doesn't find its origin in God. Sit on those three thoughts for just a second. For you to follow the mission that God has planned for you before you were even born, that he created you for, it's going to cost something. It will not be easy. You will experience some pushback from possibly people you wouldn't even expect it from. That's exactly what my friends Mike and Sharon Dennehy experienced as well. 
They both found Christ, before they found each other, in college. After they got married, they started attending a church. It was a nice church. They started having a really nice life. He had a nice job. They had a nice house, had a nice white picket fence, and three nice kids. All American dream. They're living it. And then one day, Mike was sitting in church, and he said the pastor preached a message out of the book of James. He says, faith is not just hearing the word. Faith is doing. And Mike said, uh, at that point in our lives, we had become uh, church sitters, not church doers. And that was all that it took for my wife to start thinking and asking some really crazy questions about what God might be calling us to. Uh, Sharon will tell you she is not like a courageous adventure type. She actually uh, doesn't want to do any of that kind of stuff. She's like, I would never ask God to put me on the mission field. But she did say, you know what? I think we could maybe open up our house to another child. And so I want you guys to meet my friends, Mike and Sharon Dennehy. Dennehy.